Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the story of Yehuda, part three. This week's Parsha is Parsha Vayigash, and the main events of this week's Parsha is that Yosef introduces himself to his brothers, and there is the mass migration of the tribe of Israel, um, of the Israelites, of the ancient Hebrews, whatever you want to call us, down to Egypt. Um, the background is that there has been a famine all sur- affecting all the Middle East, Egypt has been the primary source of food, grain for the populace, for for the Middle East, because one of the Israelite sons, Yosef, through a long-winded and really too detailed to tell over story, became the second in command of Egypt and had the idea to store all of Egypt's bounty for uh, seven for seven years, and and to use it for the prophesied upcoming seven years of famine. And so, through a showdown of brothers, we finally get to the standoff between Yehuda and Yosef. So, in last week's parsha, we ended off with the fact—a little bit of a teaser—into this week's parsha that Yehuda stands up to Yosef in our parsha. So. Let's just go over what happens. In last week's Parsha, Yosef has a very clever plan to... He has a very clever plan to get the... To get Binyamin, to his younger brother from their mutual mother, because back in the day they had stepmothers. He has a plan to get him to be convicted of a crime to see if the same brothers who sold Yosef would now abandon... Yosef's younger brother, or if they would stand up for him and to see if they change. That's the basic Jewish tradition. And now comes the time where the cup, the silver cup, is found in Yosef's in Binyamin's backpack. And Yehuda stands up for Binyamin, and he stands up to Yosef. So Yehuda gives this impassioned plea to Yosef when they get back to him after reaching the outskirts of the city and finding Binyamin's cup in their backpack. Yosef says that, you know, I'm going to, what's it called? Why would you do this to me? Why would you, I treated you so well. I gave you a feast, you know, whatever. It doesn't say to apologize, but like, to apologize probably, assuming was the implication. I gave you a feast. I gave you food. I gave you lodging. Um, you know, we drank together. We shared a table. I gave you everything, you know, and you took my cup, my special divine cup. And you should have known that I would have realized because it's a very, it's a very important cup to me. And obviously the brothers didn't do it. Yosef planted the evidence. And now comes Yehuda's, Yehuda's talk. Okay, so just re- remember, be in the brothers' shoes for a second. The brothers, they have no idea what's going on. Like this, this guy is just so manipulative. This second in command of Egypt, who is really their brother, they don't know about. He's so manipulative. He really just... He's planted evidence in their sacks so many times, already twice. This is the second time, right? He has changed his mind on so many things. First, he was going to get everybody to go back to, uh, to Egypt, uh, to stay in Egypt and to only have one brother go out and get Binyamin to prove to them. Then he changed his mind and only one brother stayed in Egypt and the other 10 went back to get Binyamin. And it was just the, the other nine, whatever. It was just a whole ordeal. 
And now he, they come back. He greets them summarily. Now, again, they're starting up with this, uh, with these accusations and some kind of, well, they didn't know that the cup was planted, but I'm sure they assumed. Um, based on what we know from the text, clearly the brothers besides Yosef and Binyamin had a very clear rapport with each other. They were all virtually almost all the time on the same page, besides for Reuven here and there. But like even so, Reuven isn't really like too unpopular with the brothers. And it's it just, we don't know what the relationship with Binyamin is like because we don't see much of it in the Torah, except for right now. So the question right now is, a lot of people assume that the brothers, again, think that the cup was planted. But if you look in the verses, there's nothing to indicate that they assume that. It could just be that they actually thought Binyamin stole the cup, which I think makes the story much more powerful. Because, well, they, they're very conviction. They had a lot of conviction at first. They're very hot-headed, right? They said that if you find the cup in any of our sacks, we will, you can kill, you can kill the guy who you find it in, and the rest of us will be your slaves, right? So clearly they probably, either they were so hot-headed, they weren't thinking about Binyamin at the moment, and they were just thinking about their, like, kind of brotherly unison uh, without Binyamin, because um, we don't know how they grew up together. We don't know what happened in these past 22 years. Or it could be that they actually, it could be that they actually thought uh, that Yosef planted it again, and they were really, they were really um, so sure of Binyamin, the, the fact that Binyamin didn't steal it. I happen to think that the former is a more powerful version of the story. I think that it's more powerful to say that they actually, it could, they've already had a history with, you know, the sons of Leah because they, the sons of, sorry, Rachel, because they, because to Yaakov, their father, Rachel was his most beloved wife. Um, it doesn't seem like there was a secret from the children. And Yaakov had a special bond with the children of Rachel, one of which was Yosef, whom they sold or caused to be sold, however you want to view the story. And the other thing is that now it's basically time for the brothers to stand up. This is the brother's pivotal moment. And which brother steps up? Which one is not the one that says the rash things, the one who says the smart things at this point? It's Yehuda. Yehuda steps up to Yosef and he says, my Lord, please let me say something to you privately because you're like Paro. You know, I don't want to speak publicly. Um, I want to, whatever it is, uh, I, I don't want to speak. He's probably thinking, I don't want to speak publicly. You know, like anything I could say can be used against me. And like, I like, I don't want your opinion to be swayed by the public, you know, type of vibes. That's how, what I got when I read the verses. But that's the beautiful thing about the Torah. The verses are... are semi up for interpretation when it comes to narrative that's why you have a lot of differing opinions um as long as you follow certain guidelines it's fine i think um ask your local orthodox rabbi i don't know why i'm getting into this yehuda basically is now standing up to yosef and he says let me speak with you privately because you're just like paro um you're very high ranking you know i just want to talk with you man to man and he says in the verses he says you asked us you, you, he didn't say you accuse us of being spies. He says, you asked us, do we have a father? Is our father still alive? Do we have any other siblings? This, things like this and things like that. We were very honest with you. We told you we have a, we have a father, an elderly father. We couldn't bring our younger brother here because he loves, his, he loves that child. And, uh, his, and, you know, he just really... He, he, would, uh, he was too scared to let him come with us. And he wants, he's very overprotective in some sense. And I personally promised, my, my father was very hesitant to send Binyamin here with us. 
he was he was mourning it. He you know he he already pretty much accepted the loss of his sons. Like in previous verses, Yaakov already said, "If I lose my sons, I lose my sons." You know, in a very mourning way, and in a method that exudes more mournful attitude, I guess to be more proper. That probably wasn't even proper anyway. But that's what happens, right? And the brothers, they all, and Yehuda is like telling all this to Yosef. And he says, and he finishes off with, you know, our father, his soul is bound up with this, with this child. Like, if I don't come back with Binyamin, I will send my father down into the grave. And I would never be able to live with myself. I will have sinned with to him for all time. And regardless of whether Yosef was planning when Yosef was planning on revealing himself, we don't really know when Yosef was planning on revealing himself. Like we don't know how far this charade would have gone, because you see, there was a very human, non, non. Uh, how do I even say it? There was a very human, non-control, non-controllable reaction that Yosef has. Yosef starts crying when he hears this. Yehuda says, "My father will go down into the grave mourning for Benjamin." And Yosef breaks down crying. He tells everybody, everybody get away from the room. Let it just be me and my brother and my brothers. And he reveals himself. He starts crying. He says, I am Yosef, your brother. And uh, the one that you sold, caused to be sold into Egypt. And we see that Yehuda is the, is the catalyst here for Yosef's breakdown. You, something to do with how Yehuda spoke. You know, Yehuda could have just continued this whole like, arrogant stubborn thing not really arrogant just more stubborn and uh, right-mindedly stubborn thing that the brothers were doing and you know kind of saying like this is like you're accusing us of being spies it's not true this and that you know kind of do the self-defense thing but Yehuda just spoke to Yosef man to man very honestly so you see that Yehuda has some sort of growth in his life he doesn't speak without thinking anymore like he did back in like he did back when uh, when, Yosef, when Yosef's cloak needed to be drowned in blood so that it makes it appear to their father as though Yosef was killed by a wild animal rather than the truth, which was that the brothers sold Yosef. Yehuda doesn't speak absentmindedly anymore. Yehuda is very, very smart. He speaks man to man. He didn't know Yosef was his brother. He didn't know Yosef was about to reveal himself. But I'm sure that he assumed that this is the way you speak you speak in truth and you speak in virtue. You speak in reality and you speak under the guise of, of under the auspices of divinity when you speak honestly in the way in which Yehuda spoke, which was very patient, virtuous, non-confrontational. Um, I guess, well, non-aggressive confrontational. And Yehuda just had this way about him which shows such immense growth, such reflection, um, on his own life and on his own and on his own mistakes of the past, you know, with Tamar, with Yosef, with everything that he's done, he, it shows that he is he's very aware of the, what is really, really happening in the world and what really needs to and what the truth is and what truth triggers people's empathy, which is the most human, you know, which is one of the most human uh, um, midot characteristics. And one of the most Jewish ones, it's meant to be one of the most Jewish ones as well, when utilized properly. And sit properly. And you see Yehuda really is this really powerful character in the story. 
Yehuda is the one who gets Yosef to break down. Who knows? Yosef could have gone with this plan for a little bit longer. I don't know. Maybe he had some. We don't really know what Yosef's final plan was in the end of the day, if he was planning to reveal himself here or not. We just know this is where Yosef revealed himself, where he couldn't take it anymore. It's because Yehuda knew reality. It's because of Yehuda that Yosef was forced to reveal himself. Let's not forget that. It was never Yosef's plan to reveal himself at this moment. We know that because Yosef starts crying and he couldn't control himself. The process was topic and he could not control himself. He couldn't stop himself. He, it, is very, it is very, very powerful. We see Yehuda's growth is so powerful. It just creates this, um, it creates this uh, feeling in Yosef to be, to just break, like to reveal himself to his brothers and stop the whole charade. And to get the brothers to all come to Egypt and not waste any time. And it says all of Egypt was happy to hear uh, in the Torah. And, uh, and that Yosef's brothers were there. And so you see Yehuda is really at a, really has earned the respect of Yosef and has really earned Yosef's forgiveness, maybe. Um, I think, yes, I think forgiveness. Um Yehuda has earned Yosef's respect. Yehuda has definitely earned the respect of the brothers for being the one to stand up. And now also, at this point, when Yosef reveals himself, don't forget, he's telling everybody to come to Egypt. Now, when he tells everybody to come to Egypt, as Yehuda, the last thing we see with Yehuda in this week's parsha is, as everybody's coming back to Egypt, when they tell Yaakov the whole story, when they tell their father that Yosef was really the in charge of Egypt and everything and all this and all that. When you, when they're walking down, it says Yaakov sends Yehuda ahead of them or Yehuda was sent ahead of them to prepare their settlements to get everything ready for them. You see the amount of respect and responsibility Yehuda gains. Don't, don't forget, he's also not the firstborn. Reuven is the firstborn. Yehuda gets the responsibility, however, of setting everything up for a family of 70. That is, that's a responsibility. I, I myself, from trying to move into an apartment just for my wife and I, for two people, had such an, like, such a, so much work, and I could barely, I could not do it alone. And Yehuda gets everything set up for seventy people. So, just a lesson to learn from this story of Yehuda is that when you take the failures of your, of your life, you know, because we all have failures, you know, we all live in a world where everybody succumbs to failure, that not succumbs to, but everybody experiences failure. But when you, if you take from the story of Yehuda, if you learn from your failures and you rise up and you really don't like you, you really let it affect you for constructive purposes. That's how, uh, that's how you become somebody worthy of being called a leader because Yehuda is the father of leaders. That's just the story for today. And I think that it's uh, something to keep in mind. Shabbat Shalom, and um, have a great Shabbat, and I hope it's very introspective, and that you enjoy the time that you have.